Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, everyone. Quick message before the show today. I need a favor. I need to know who listens to this show so that we can find the right partners for our sponsorship spots so that we can give you ads that might be valuable to you and not irritating to you, please go to podsurvey.com slash CanadaLand. It'll just take a minute. There is a $100 Amazon gift card draw for one of the people who does this. But really, if you do this, you're going to do it as a favor. So pretty please, podsurvey.com slash CanadaLand. Thank you. Whatever happened to Robin Doolittle? That is a question that I have heard asked ever since the Globe and Mail poached her from the Toronto Star, where she, of course, rose to fame for her investigative reporting on Rob Ford, the crack video, her book, her daily show appearance, all of that stuff. Globe and Mail editor-in-chief David Walmsley, he made such a big deal about this high-profile hire that he, he stole her away, this embarrassing loss for the Toronto Star. You know, and now he would be the one that would be publishing her investigations. So where are they? That's the question that I hear asked. I mean, it's been years. You rarely see Robin Doolittle's byline in the Globe and Mail. Where is this next big scoop that we've all been waiting for? That's what people have been asking. Actually, it's a question that I've 
being the one asking. A few times, I guess, on this show. As it turns out, there's actually a pretty good answer to it. Where has Robin Doolittle been? As it turns out, she has been doing her job, publishing a few smaller stories while she has been working behind the scenes on the biggest story of her career thus far, a 20-month-long investigation in which she has systemically documented shocking lapses throughout this country into the ways in which law enforcement handles and mishandles sexual assault claims. Her investigation is called Unfounded, and Robin Doolittle will be with me in a moment to talk about it. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Line is brought to you by David Wells, Lisa Silvestra, Justin Station, Dave Silvera, Douglas Carter, Neil Bruder, Christopher Garrow, and Adam Grachnik. Adam, why did you decide to be awesome? Because whether you agree or disagree with the takes and information that the team and Candleland shares, it's a fantastic way to stay on top of and learn about the ongoings of Canadian media and what's happening in our turbulent times. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks. It's time to get your tax on. It's time to do this. Do it right. Do it easily. Tax season is when I am most glad that I use FreshBooks. And I have two accounts. I've got a personal account. I have a Canada Land account. I see this from the perspective of the freelancer. I see this from the perspective of the small business owner. There are powerful tools for both. This is the accounting department for companies and people who can't afford accounting departments. This is the way to send invoices online. You can do your invoicing with Microsoft Word if you want. You will not know when people looked at your invoice. You will not get paid quicker. Your invoice might not look as good. You will not have all these powerful tools come tax time to tabulate what you owe the government or what the government owes you. 
Check out FreshBooks for free. They are the best service around for this. And they're a Canadian company that is a global phenomenon. Over 5 million people use this thing. Go to FreshBooks.com. Try it out for free for 30 days. When you decide to become a customer, tell them that Canada Land sent you. It started 20 months ago, but I mean, as you know, if you're filing freedom of information requests and doing that, a lot of it is hurry up and wait. So at the very beginning of the investigation, I was still very deep into a story I was doing with two colleagues about St. Michael's Hospital and um, hospital contracts around that. So for the first kind of seven months of kind of waiting for stuff, I was kind of doing both. But for the last, like all of 2016 was just this story. It was reported that start to finish a 20 month investigation. Start to finish 20 months, yeah. Congratulations on, for, for reasons we're going to articulate, I think it is, it's a triumphant piece of reporting and both in what you revealed and the impact. It's extraordinary. It's the kind of thing that is getting done less and less. I think it's worth talking a little bit about that, but maybe we should just talk about what you found. Yeah, and thank you. So basically, all along, Unbeknownst to me, uh, I was a former police reporter. Police have been stamping sex assault cases with a this happened and a this didn't happen. True, not true marker all along. That is, in essence, what unfounded is. Unfounded is a code that police give to criminal investigations where they do not believe that a crime occurred. I had never heard of this before. June 2015 was when it first kind of crossed my desk. And what I found is uh, after these 20 months is that Canadian police are dismissing one in five sexual assault complaints as unfounded, meaning one out of every five people who go to a police officer and report sexual assault to, to law enforcement are having their cases dismissed as baseless. And once a case is unfounded, it is no longer reflected in local or national statistics. It's basically scrubbed from public record. Um, the investigation has lots more different facets, but that's kind of the nutshell of it. Furthermore, the unfounded rates varied dramatically across the country. So you have some cities with 30, 40, 50, 60 percent unfounded rates, which means half of people who are walking into police stations and reporting sexual assault are having their cases dismissed. And this is more than double the rate for other violent crimes and and nearly double the rate for, for physical assault. I think that this is an interesting story to to convey to the public and a difficult story to convey to people, like just getting this across for a number of reasons. When you say that the cops are called because somebody's complained about a sexual assault, that some of those cases the cops just say, yeah, actually, we don't really think that there's a crime worth pursuing here. That in and of itself is not shocking to me. I'm Mm -hmm. sure that there are many cases where the cops are called for just a regular old assault and they say, yeah, we're not going to, like, this isn't worth our time. I'm sure that there is a statistic for any crime where the cops will make a similar value judgment. And and that, that, I mean, that was my assumption that before we even get to the level of does the Crown think that there's a reasonable chance of convictions or are there charges? I guess the charges come before the Crown makes it. All these steps by which the system can decide whether or not they're going to pursue it or not. I guess I always knew that the first step was the cops saying, is this a crime or not? Yeah. And the terminology of just saying, yeah, they, they, they were called and they found it to be unfounded. It was not a founded. That is not a shocker. It's only when you get into the, the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Why would it vary so wildly? Right. Right. From not even just province to province or city to city, but like police department to, to police department. 
and frankly, I'm sure that if I drill down, this is this is anecdotal, um, which I really tried to avoid. But I bet if you drill down into individual police services, you would see the numbers varying dramatically between officers. Right. They have this incredible discretion just to like nip off a crime exactly. and just say, no, we're not, not, not going to look at it. If I had to think of like, you know, some broad themes of, of the investigation, one of the big standouts for me was the patchwork approach to handling sex assault cases across the country. There is, you know, no mandated sexual assault, specialized sexual assault training from the province for people who are hand or officers who are handling sex assault cases, which is not the case in most provinces or, or every province with domestic violence. Officers have an incredible amount of discretion. Police services have an incredible amount of discretion to decide what sort of oversight or supervisor is included in that decision. So it is absolutely very up to the individual person standing in front of a complainant. This is a data project that you did. This is not about specifics or outliers or the strange thing Mm -hmm. that belies the rule. This is about the rule. And you did this by filing hundreds of FOI requests and, and getting the data. And what you've ultimately achieved, I think, is you've you've filled in a missing part of the puzzle. We hear the statistic very frequently that only one out of 10 sexual assaults even gets reported mm-hmm. to the cops. And like for a lot of women, that's like that can be years before they pick up the phone and make that call. But we also know that that's where their troubles begin, because the next thing that people are very familiar with is that of those 10 percent who actually report a sexual assault, once they go to trial, less than half of them result in a conviction. Right. But there was a missing piece in the right. middle there, which is the assumption that I always made was, okay, so 10% call the cops and of that 10%, something close to half result in a conviction. And actually that's not true because of the ones who call the cops, one in five of them are just getting ignored. They're getting the thing thrown out yeah, by the cop. Exactly. That is one of the things that really kind of lured me into this. There are the three big statistics, fewer than one in 10 report, you know, less than half results in a charge, less than half of those results in a conviction. And it turned out, actually, there's this huge other barrier for people. It's 19.39% of cases are just not even being counted as sexual assaults. Like, think about that. You know, we keep telling women and men, but I mean, the conversation primarily does focus on women, like, go to police, report, do this, it's going to be treated seriously. And one in five aren't even having their cases labeled as legitimate. Now, talking about the way that this was presented to the public, at the heart of this lies something that you can't prove conclusively, at least not with this methodology, and it wasn't really your intent, which is essentially the cops are calling a staggering number of cases unfounded. In some jurisdictions, half of the complaints Mm -hmm. get thrown out immediately as unfounded. And the suggestion, the only reason why anybody should care is if some of those are being mislabeled. Right. Right. And your journalism was not about going in and investigating specific cases and finding out, well, did the cop make a mistake and it was founded or not? Or at least that doesn't seem what we've seen yet. There was a couple cases that I did focus on, but I mean, there's more than 5,000 every single year. So no, I I mean, it's not realistic to kind of get into those specific cases. Again, you were describing the forest and not the trees. It seems like that's, I mean, that's sort of what I'm hungry for now is like, now I want to get on that granular level. I want the story of that victim and I want the story of a cop. But I I like to know the whole because sometimes we found one person or we found 12. It's like, well, what does that tell me? You know, But the way that this hit the public, the term unfounded, I had to read the article a few times to realize that what you were actually saying was, 
quote unquote unfounded. I know it's so confusing because yeah. did you guys have a long conversation <laughs> yes, about whether yes. or not to put uh, scare quotes around the term unfounded? It's not a scare quotes unfounded. It was, but yes, we had many conversations. This is maybe like a nerd, a nerdy grammar discussion, but like about that unfounded is an actual thing. It's the name of a code, and Technical, the word unfounded yeah. also means something. So if you say like police are dismissing unfounded allegations, like good, it's like good, <laughs> but it's like. No, it's, you know, so yeah, that was, I mean, that so quotes unfounded would convey, is very complicated. Yeah. That was a real challenge of writing a 10,000 word story is like around this word that is so confusing. And we tried so hard in that story to like over and over again, like reinforce, like this is what this means. This because one thing, I mean, that's happened after it came out. I can't tell you how many radio interviews I did where talk radio host would start saying like yeah but like so what do you want you want everyone to be locked up or thrown in jail and it's like that is so many steps down the road this is just about counting them unfounded is not when there's not enough evidence unfounded is not when a complainant doesn't want to lay a charge unfounded is not when the suspect flees the country unfounded is when an investigation has shown that there was no crime or the cop says an investigation has shown that there was no crime so there was like so many complicated things about that word including that it has a couple meanings and yeah and, and yeah yeah so. it's a headline writing uh, challenge you yeah. know because like because like headlines are short like you want to say one in five cases are are labeled uh, unfounded, but it varies wildly from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, and it's way higher than other crimes. And, and there's, there's and, and and yeah, it, I mean the big thing about this story, which I don't know, this is not this is kind of a little off topic, but that I want to get across that I think was so important is June 2015 is when I is when I first started working on this, and at the time, you know, we were talking so much about Gomeshi, we were talking about Bill Cosby, the Hunting Ground documentary had come out. I just felt like we kept getting in discussions about how the quote unquote system, another scare quotes, is failing sexual assault victims and. You know, so many of these stories are, you know, one case or a couple of cases. And what appealed to me about the story was that this was something that you could point to, look at, hold and say, you know what, we're not trying to take down the whole system here. What we're trying to show is that at the very least, this very basic first step is not being handled properly. And I think that that is why it's grabs people despite the confusing kind of unfounded name that, you know, this is something people can wrap their heads around. I'm not sure that it did succeed in breaking that kind of comprehension barrier en masse. Right. Right. And it was interesting to me for me to see the story play out because once I comprehended what you were reporting, I thought, oh, the editorial packaging of this, I wonder if they're going to miss their mark and people aren't going to care because this is not – you don't have character. You don't have like a very identifiable, outrageous anecdote and the headline itself can make you feel like something, yeah, dismiss out uh, unfounded cases. Great. I'm glad. And you really have to you're, – you're, you're asking a lot of people to get to the point where they see that this is outrageous. And I wondered if there wasn't uh, a mistake made, if the Globe was too austere in the way that it was presented. And I was both entirely right, I think, and entirely wrong <laughs> because public response is a means to an end if you're trying to address broad yes. problems in the system. I did not see people protesting in the streets. I did not see massive public outrage. I, I did not see a huge social media outcry. So a lot of journalists giving you a lot of respect, but I, I didn't see that public saying, wow, we have a problem here. But what I did see shockingly quickly was a response from government and from the cops. And maybe you could talk a little bit about just how exhaustive and rapid, and I don't know, in your opinion, whether it's consequential or not, that impact on policymakers has been. 
Yeah, I mean, the story did have, I totally agree with you, you know, you can't just kind of hit people over the head with data and, and expect, you know, riots in the streets. There's a couple, you know, characters throughout the story who had had their case unfounded. But the the main character at the start of the story is this girl, Ava, from Western University, who had, whose uh, sexual assault was very similar to what happened in, in Stanford, the case that kind of made, you know, international headlines last year. And, you know, in the Stanford case with Brock Turner, um, you know, there was outrage that he received such a light sentence. And in Ava's case, this was dismissed as as not a sexual assault. And we had, you know, the video of the officer asking her questions, which really told the whole story in so many ways. And without that story, I don't think that there would have been change at all, because you did need to kind of latch on to that something, that one character. People had to see the cop interrogating her in this discompassionate way. In challenging way, like she and the, what's really interesting about it is, you know, she was sitting there and totally trusting this detective like she wasn't fighting with him. It was he's telling her like, yeah, but like, is it actually like consensual? Like it's, it seems like it, you know, was consensual. And she's like, well, n- no. And then he'd kind of, you know, come back around to that. And then finally she's she's saying like, well, I don't know, like if that's what you're telling me that like I can't be blackout drunk and not consent. I mean, I won't get into the whole thing. You can watch it on our website. But I mean, that was kind of, a, I think, a big galvanizing point to your original question. Yeah, I was surprised at how fast there was reaction from government and police services. I think the first one was the London Police Service, which was the police service that dealt with Ava. They were the first to announce that they were going to review all unfounded cases. They were also a, a service that had, what was the percentage of, of cases that they found? To About be? 30%, so one in three. They were the, one of the highest of major cities in, yeah. the, the, in the country. And they kind of broke the dam there. And then immediately what followed was other, pl- there's now about 40 I think what was really interesting is in addition to kind of the story and the investigation, we had this online tool that anyone in the country can type in their their town or their their uh, police service and see what the unfounded rate is in their community. And what was really amazing was, uh, you know, because people will tag you on Twitter when they're posting things, is all these little newspapers or radio stations across the country reporting on their very small municipal police service. And that, I think, is what really sparked the change. So while maybe you don't see, you know, not everybody's on Twitter, but like people like phoning in, I can tell you I received hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails from people, one who'd reported sexual assault or who had, you know, worked in a police service or had opinions on this. I do think that there was a lot of pressure, but I think a lot of it came in this small little towns, you know, especially in Ontario, the OPP has one of the highest unfounded rates in the the mid 30s. And I was getting all these messages of different little communities in Ontario calling their local OPP detachment saying, why is your unfounded rate X, Y, Z? And and that, I think, helped push a lot of the, the change. I mean, yeah, that just hits on a, on a basic level of, of reason. Why, if I'm in one community, am I four times less likely to be believed by police officers than if I lived one community over? Yeah. Is it that there's four times as many liars in my community or maybe there's just differences in the cops in my community. Yeah, the like, be- you know, which one is it? Come the on. The best example is Toronto. All of the surrounding suburban police services have unfounded rates that are at least, I think, four times as high as Toronto. So Toronto's is seven percent, and then you have, you know, York, Halton, Peel, all kind of up there above twenty five percent, above thirty percent. And the big difference is that Toronto went through the Jane Doe audits. So this was 
Jane Doe, 19, I think 86, raped by the, you know, quote unquote, balcony rapist in her church in Wellesley area home in, in Toronto, later revealed to be, uh, I think it was the fifth victim of this person. She had, had not been warned by police that he was targeting women in the area. She won a landmark lawsuit against the Toronto police uh, in 1998, which sparked this long process of Toronto police having to go over how they handle sex assault cases, including how they handle unfounded cases. And they have a policy in Toronto that a police officer, um, one, must have specialized sex assault training, and two, a supervisor needs to improve an unfounded designation. Uh-huh. And so you can see like these differences. So, so institutions respond to external pressure a lot quicker and more conclusively than when there's uh, than anything internal. Toronto has had that external pressure in the past. These other communities haven't until your work. So again, we heard from the prime minister on this. Who Justice else? Like, yeah, so run, th- run through the the yeah. responses. The day that it ran on the sat, well, it ran on the Friday, and then the- but by the Saturday, I mean the prime minister's chief of staff was tweeting about it. The justice minister was tweeting about it. I know this is just Twitter, like, but it was said something that like, wow, these are public people kind of making statements about yeah. a specific investigation, saying this is important. By the next week, you know, you had the justice minister, the public safety minister, uh, the prime minister obviously weighed in. You have stats can saying that they're going to look at collecting, unfounded, and publishing. That's a big push that the Globe wants. The Globe wants stats can to start collecting and publishing unfounded rates. Because well, you were doing their work. They stopped doing it, which is why you had to. Right. And then they say that because the data is messy, and they don't want to release dirty data. But then unfounded is not a definition the Globe came up with. This is in 1962, stats can and the police community came up with these codes. I'm just using their own book. I have their book in my office. I read it. I'm familiar with it. They Instead of making them follow their own definitions, they've said, oh, they're not doing it right. We'll just stop collecting it. So StatsCan's looking at collecting it again. In in Ontario, the minister in charge of the police in Ontario has said that she is really interested in in an outside oversight model Uh that is based on a, a model running in Philadelphia where once a year advocates from sex assault centers are invited into the police service to review sex assault files and for deficiencies and signs of bias. This is like the gold standard of um, accountability. Of accountability, Absolutely. Can I ask this? Because one thing that felt really awful on a, on a human level was, I mean, I guess it's all on a human level, but you know, you can't help but just want to break this down and like from the point of view of the victim or the alleged victim, the fact that they would never get back in touch with them and say, mm-hmm. we have found this to be unfounded and we will not be laying charges because we found this to be unfounded. There was no crime. They were just left wondering why nothing was done. Is that being addressed? Is that part of the Philadelphia model? Is there any greater transparency to the person who picks up the phone and says, I'm the victim of, of a sexual Yeah. Assault? So the, the big caveat to all this change happened in the first week. There were 40 police services say they're going to do reviews, including the OPP and the RCMP, which, you know, collectively are the biggest forces in the city or in the country by far. You have all these commitments from government that we're going to look at training. We're going to look at, you know, overhauling our policies and practices. But what does that actually mean? Yeah. And that's really what I think our job is for the next year, maybe two years, maybe three years, like this is something that the globe really cares about and has committed the resources to and we're going to follow it through because that is absolutely a big question. What are these reviews looking like? What kind of things are they actually going to change? I interviewed 54 people who reported sexual assault to police 
the vast majority of whom did not have their case go forward, only one of those people was told that their case had been unfounded. The rest were not told either way. Through my reporting, and I encouraged everyone to file for their police report, we learned that an additional six had been unfounded and in, and four others had likely been unfounded. So you're looking at about, again, that's kind of right on the ratio, but like 11 cases likely unfounded of those 54 but yeah, they had no idea. And I, I remember telling one of the women who, you know, reported that she was raped by two men at her university residence on Halloween. And I, I said to her, like, you know, I've just confirmed your case was unfounded. And she was just like devastated because she knew there wasn't charges laid, but she had no idea that the police officer didn't believe her. Yeah. And so she was I think her quote is in the story. It's heartbreaking to me. She's like, you know, I've been struggling to get out of bed every day for two years and then to have, you know, to have my allegation not even be counted as a sexual assault is just a slap in the face. I mean, I recognize that these are very difficult crimes, especially when it hinges on consent or the lack thereof, something that often happens when there's no witnesses. And that is a very difficult thing for the courts to contend with. But the fact that a cop is making the judgment call, listens to two people and decides right then and there which one is believable and which one isn't, seems galling to me. And it seems like it seems broken. Yeah. And I mean, you know, by comparison in the States, which has a very similar system, the unfounded rate is a national unfounded rate is around 7%. So in Canada, 19 yeah. like, percent. The, as I was saying to you before we started here, this is actually unfounded is a series of stories. And actually every day we, we'd still run stories. We run a story every single day, a profile of an individual who reported to police in their experience. And we've, you know, this has been going on for the now last couple of weeks. But there were other big stories related to this that have kind of been pushed on pause while we wait to see kind of how things unfold. Um, But we will be getting at that next step is like what actually happens in a police investigation that may be causing some of these cases to go off the rails, because it's not just unfounded cases. Unfounded is like the first level. Start counting sex assaults. And then from there, um, whether a case is unfounded or not, mistakes are being made with sex assault investigations. Mm -hmm. Now, it's harder to quantify in this really nice pretty number, like 19% of cases are being bungled. So then it kind of gets more into the anecdotal. But yeah, it's a it's a very troubling system, I think, at, the, at present. Backing up a bit to the swiftness of the uh, political impact of this, I feel like they were responding to the Globe's masthead. I feel like that mm. there was an interaction between a, a media institution and like for for all that I criticize the Globe for kind of like hiding behind or using this kind of like fum, fum, this, they are the paper of record. They are still, they still have that, you guys still have that position. And it, this is how you use it, it seems to me. Like, and it's almost like an old timey thing that where as things get so fragmented, there is, there's fewer and fewer places have, be it moral authority or just the brand. Right. But I feel like this was, a great application of of what, what is left of that brand or what still exists of, of the meaning of that brand. Yeah, I think there were a couple of things. Certainly, I'm not the person who like first looked at unfounded rates. You know, like I came across this story because a University of Ottawa professor looked at seven Ontario police services, you know, more than 10 years ago. And yeah. I, I had read that study and was like, oh, that's really interesting. Same conclusions with just a much smaller data set. Yeah, seven police services, but same, very similar conclusions. Advocates, particularly in Ottawa, have been complaining about unfounded rates for a couple of years. Until it was in the Globe, there was no change. And I think that that speaks to, yeah, like the Globe is a trusted 
is a trusted entity. I mean, it is a national newspaper that still has the resources. I mean, it's pretty incredible that the Globe let me do nothing in 2016 except this story. Yeah. Um, and no one ever, you know, <laughs> there was never any sort of pressure. In fact, sometimes I would be like, I really need to write something. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I was a daily reporter for a decade. It's really hard to not, you know, have your name in the paper for a year. They were like, no, like, this is important. This is what you're doing. Do not get sidetracked with other things. And then they, and then they, they, you know, for, for whatever my complaints are, the editorial packaging took a lot of deep dive to figure it out, but there was no question from the way they presented it that this was of serious importance. Yeah. And like I said, they're, they are running a profile of one of these complainants every single day. There's space in the paper every single day for these complainants. I think there was the entire focus section was this story. And then the next weekend, it was like, Almost the entire focus second again was this story. This is something that we're committed to doing for, again, years if needed. So I think that definitely the institutional and brand power and, and the trust people have in the Globe and Mail. I think the other thing is that there are women in government. Like that was the big takeaway from me. Right. Is, and I mean, obviously, our prime minister right now is uh, considers himself, you know, a, a feminist and is, um, you know, very... Mm-hmm. up on women's issues and, and proud to kind of be staking out that claim that he is, you know, uh, interested in these issues. I think that sex assault is something that we all know how the system deals with sex assault victims is something we've been talking about a lot for the last couple of years. But it's hard to, as I said, focus on one thing. And this was just like, this was an easy thing to understand when you're talking about like, it's a number you can point to. There's obviously a problem. You have women in positions of power. You have, uh, you know, an organization that took the time to do this right. If we had only done, you know, the first phase of this was just 50 cities. We did the entire freaking country. Like yeah. anyone in the country can look up their area. I think that's uh, just to pause on that for a second. I think it, it's important and it's something that only a big institution like the mm-hmm. Globe could do, that it was so comprehensive and exhaustive. It was not... Again, not anecdotal. It was it, it was it was the, yeah. a description of the entire forest. Right. So I think there was kind of a it was the right time for this story to happen. The right people are in power. Obviously, you know, with I think we're all feeling a little media saturation from the states right now with Trump and talking about some of those issues. And this uh, was something that you can feel like you can do something about in on our side of the border. So I think a lot of different things converge to, to create that change. I think that this is how we fight. You know, I, I think that this is what no one else will do. And increasingly, as the globe is going to fight with the New York Times now in Canada, you need to have these stories. Mm-hmm. I have been a little bit skeptical be it a paper decides on a crusade for a year and we're going to crusade an issue or a big, deep spotlight investigation. The Globes have been, you know, a lot of the stuff that they have kind of like people kind of call them, you know, the the award grasping stories, you know, the stories that they know before it's even published. This is what they're going to be trying to get the uh, the newspaper award for, the missioner for. Some of them feel to me like they, they've been a little bit too easy. Like we, we know that this is an easy win. It's virtuous. We've got a clear victim here. We're going to, and they, you know, just pump it up. And, and it's like, I don't want to go too far with this because they're, they're all legitimate stories, you know? <laughs> right. That's a legitimate story. It's a totally legitimate story. But when you can show me something that I didn't know before that I wouldn't have known, and then we can we, we can document exactly what happened as a result of it, and it has implications for everybody, I have no problem knocking down that wall, and I'm going to put you in an uncomfortable position, between, <laughs> between church and state. This is how they're going to sell subscriptions, right? They need to do this. We all need to be able at the end of the year to say, pay for us because we did this. And I think that this is one of those stories. And they, people should look to this and they should say, okay, well, what are we going to do this year? I totally see where you're coming from, which is 
like cynical, but maybe realistic idea of the media landscape. The same with, you know, that I was hearing with Rob Ford when I was at the Star and people talking about like, this is to sell subscriptions. Like the amount of resources and time that the Globe put into this unfounded project, I don't think is about like is not going to recoup itself in subscriptions by any measure. Oh, I don't know about that at all. Well, like I can tell you, like, I mean, I've like tried cycling through my head, like how much this cost. And it sometimes gives me the shivers and I don't want to think about it. But like, no, it's inc- obviously the globe is, you know, you, you want to as a media organization, you want to stake out what you're what you're interested in. And like, where do we want to allocate these limited funds? Right? Yeah. Like I spent with, you know, two colleagues. Oh, geez, like seven or eight months reporting on like a possible procurement policy violation, a conflict of interest at a hospital. This is not like, you know, a quote unquote sexy story, but we spent, you know, three, like three of us spent the bulk of a year doing it. It did get nominated for a missioner, which was wonderful. But like, I can tell you, like very unexpected. We were surprised because it's not like, again, a sexy story. So I guess what I'm saying is that there is sort of a cynical idea about like what, you know, is on brand. But I mean, on the ground in a newsroom, what I can say is the paper is committed to, like I said, we want to do investigations that matter, like big investigations. Sure. We're not doing like one month investigations that are going to like expose some bad actor in some field. Exactly. Or, this is yeah. like, this is something that really matters. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I should say, I hope people subscribe because of this story. That would make me really happy. Like, and I really did get, you know, it was nice. People would like tag me on Twitter with like a screenshot of them subscribing, like that they. No, care no, about no. the story. Look, it's it's they they keep this away from you for a reason. Yeah, and you're, and you're, you're there to do your job and not worry about this. But I can guarantee, if they're smart, especially if they're trying to get younger subscribers to do digital subscriptions, you know, it's sort of like it evens out Margaret Wente. It's like on the one hand this, <laughs> on the other hand this. Come on, people, think about but it. But you know what? Like God, I love hate reading people. <laughs> I don't know. It's good to like read different people things. People love like, hate reading, but they don't pay to hate read. They won't. Uh, fair, you know. fair. So, um, but yeah, yeah, I think for sure. And this story, I think, resonated with younger people for sure. Maybe people that wouldn't necessarily have picked up the globe before, or seen the globe before. Maybe were introduced to the globe because of this. So that's great. Look, I'm I'm like genuinely thrilled that, uh, about what you've done, and it's wonderful execution of the craft. It, it's weird to be so ecstatic about something so horrible. And, <laughs> you know, really like the big overview of this is just like, holy shit. Is this a terrible society for somebody who is looking for justice or looking for any kind of repercussion or, or, or just, you know, to get out from a terrible situation? And again, whatever reforms come from this, like I hope that one day at every level of the system, things are better. My own experience with the Gameshi mm. story and what that showed of the women who do get their day in court right. and whether or not they win or lose what they have to go through. I feel like one thing that these two stories, yours and mine, have in common is – journalism has served victims better than the system. I want to say that, like, I feel that's just definitively true. If anyone in my family is like, should I call the cops or should I call a reporter? You know, I, I like the, the, the outcomes. I mean, I, I've heard yeah. this from lawyers before. They said to me, I would not tell my loved ones to call the cops if this happened to them. Well, I think I heard that a lot talking to the 54 people that I interviewed who'd reported that they were willing to tell their whole story to a journalist. And a lot of the times, you know, with some of these stories, there's been look of like, will they re-report like after we expose their, the problems in their story? Like maybe the cl- police would reopen the case. Right. And several of them are like, I don't even want to deal with that. I feel like I've had my say now having the paper. So certainly, yes, having the media shine a spotlight to be cliche. I think just to like be rec- not invisible, like this happened. Yeah, exactly. I have a story, you know, that that 
is some catharsis to some people. Absolutely. And again, like not to like totally wave the globe banner here on the online tool, but I like I'm so proud of that, that anyone in their tiny little town who maybe doesn't have a media outlet, like that was the big theme for me looking at this too, was these little places without media that seems to me where you see the highest unfounded rates. I haven't actually crunched that data. This is just me kind of looking large yeah. like surface level. But if you do not have watchdogs in small communities that are like have, you know, have resources to kind of take in these calls from from complainants who are calling up and saying this happened to me, that's where you see a lot of the problems. So sure. being able to kind of give some of these outlets that that starting point has been good and I think will lead to change. Yeah, it's just another area where we can see the direct relationship between media accountability in communities versus, I'm not going to say corruption, but broken processes on the part of public services and and Well, it's tricky. I mean, I'm from a really small town and it's like, uh, you know, and we'll be doing more reporting on this with this series. But like if you're in a really, really tiny town, you know, the reporter, the cop, the complainant, the suspect, you're all buying groceries at the same store. Like your kids play on the same hockey team. It it creates a different dynamic and a different idea of like, do you want to come forward? How much of a stink do you want to make here? You have to live here. Your parents have to live here. Like, uh, As claustrophobic as that is (laughs) and and how those relationships can get in the way of the things, if if the reporter isn't one of those people at the grocery store or the hockey rink, with this and with a hundred other things, we, we just need to be making this case to the public in every way we can. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Robin. Thanks. That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me anytime at jesse at canadalandshow.com. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadalandshow.com and our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of The Imposter will be up on Wednesday. The next episode of Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. Quick note to Halifax listeners, I'll be in your city speaking on a panel. The question we're asking, is Atlantic Canadian journalism fucked? That is on Friday, March 3rd, with the Halifax examiners Tim Bousquet and others. Again, that's Friday, March 3rd at the Marquee Ballroom, 6 p.m. Tickets are 10 bucks at the door. All proceeds go to CKDU Radio. Russell Gregg is the producer of this show. We syndicate it to campus and community radio across this country. If you like what we do, please support us. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 